This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode five, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Denver Woods. He's a guy that I have gotten to know and become friends with over the last year or so through his podcast, The V-Twin Life. Denver was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. He met his wife just after graduation, and 26 years later, they are still living the dream. Denver and his wife, Amy, have raised three amazing young adults. Their daughter, Maddie, is 23, and they have two sons, Hayden, 21, and Seth, 19. Denver has spent his life on two wheels. He started riding when he was around five and just never stopped. Getting into racing when he was young, he started with motocross. Did that for a few years until having a bad wreck, which led him to having brain surgery and facial reconstruction as a young teenager. After his recovery, Denver left the motocross scene and got into hill climbing, making many lifelong friends in that sport. Even his kids got into hill climbing when they were younger, climbing in the Wee class. Denver really wanted to get on the road, so he sold his hill climb bike and bought his first road bike right around the year 2000. Then during the pandemic, he came up with the idea about starting a motorcycle podcast. Having a passion for bikes, a subject he could talk about, and a desire to share stories of the road and traveling on two wheels. It seemed like a good idea. He wasn't sure people would enjoy it, but wanted to give it a try. So in October of 2020, the V-Twin Life was born. Coming into 22, the V-Twin Life had already hit about 50 episodes. As with any growth... They aren't called episodes anymore, and the addition to video has them on YouTube. Right now, we're going to get more into Denver's history, his take on the podcasting gig, and then maybe a little help for yours truly. Denver, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, man. Thanks for for having me on the Wild Ass Podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been a struggle putting this one together for the listeners. We've been trying to connect here for, I think it's been close to two weeks, huh? It has been a little while, but I mean, you know, with, with your line of work and, you know, you, all the stuff you got going on, I mean, you're a, a very busy individual. I think we had a similar when, you know, I was trying to line up to get you on the V-Twin Life. Yeah. When, to, when was that? I don't remember. It was early. Uh, you know, early. I was just looking back, it was early. Uh, November of 2020. So you were... Uh... About a month in, that seems, yeah, it seems like we were in the single digits for sure for episodes yeah. for you. Yeah, you were the eighth episode. Episode number eight. That's crazy. And here you are in the, well into the 50s at this point, aren't you? Yeah, episode, well, we actually, as you know, we're saying, went into mileposts. It was just something that really seemed to fit. I think when I hit 20, it's like, you know, this is a milepost. So you're going somewhere, you know, you're 20 and then. 25 and i was talking with Cesar pendants he's like man he goes you know i i think you're really onto something he goes milepost is just something awesome that's like exactly you know we're always you're riding you're just enjoying the road you're past the mileposts and you're just it's one after another and it just stuck so we went to every episode was a milepost and it's something different something unique and i like it dare to be different I like it. And you changed your uh, your artwork and everything. So now it even shows the mile posts when you post new episodes. I think it's great. Yeah, I gave it, you know, a, a custom custom touch to it. And yeah, I really like it. It's a lot of fun. And it's what you're talking about is riding, getting out, riding, doing some things. I want to talk about your podcast, but first I want to learn a little bit more about your history. You started riding at five years old and it's surprising how many kids ride that age. But uh, back when we were kids, that wasn't necessarily the case, was it? No, I mean, it. there were some guys, I think it's just, you know, my, my stepdad was the one that got me into motorcycles, you know, and he was, you know, he spent his life on them, you know, on old Harleys and, you know, riding with all his old homeboys. And it was something he picked up, God, I want to say it was, it was the late 70s Yamaha little MX-80. And I rallied that thing everywhere. An MX-80. That's funny because I have two of those in my shed. You don't see those anymore. No, I, if I remember right, it was white and black. I mean, I remember riding that all over the property, you know, trail riding, and that little bike was the beginning of it. That's crazy. Where were you? So you did that. Do you remember your first race, where that was, or how that went? Uh, my first one was here in Port Angeles up at Deer Park. We have the Olympic 
Olympic Peninsula Motorcycle Club, which has been, man, I think it's been here since the late 50s, somewhere in the 60s. And, you know, they have the uh, motocross track up there. They used to have flat track up there. The hill climb is on the backside of the property because it's a good chunk of acreage that the motorcycle owns or the motorcycle club owns up there. And that's, you know, really where it all started for me was up at Deer Park. That's cool. How old were you at the time? Um, Probably my first actual race. It might have maybe nine or ten. Okay. Yeah, so you got a good young start. And, you know, the biggest thing when I started, you know, what I really enjoyed was riding trails. I mean, when you live up here in the Olympic Peninsula, I mean, you got the National Forest, you know, tons of DNR land. And, you know, I we'd go ride trails, and it was all the time, man. If I could get my stepdad to go out riding, boy, we were out riding all the time when it came to dirt bikes. That's awesome. So you, he was a rider too then? Yeah, he's the one that, you know, I mean, both my dad and my stepdad both ride on the road, but, you know, my st- my dad was never into the dirt bike side of it, and that's where my, my stepdad got me hooked on dirt bikes when I was young, and, you know, my dad was a great supporter of it, and, you know, he, there's some of the hill climbs, when we got into hill climbing in my teenage years, you know, he would, he came to a lot of those, you know, he'd take me, and it was a lot of fun. That's cool. So, racing motocross, um, we talked a little bit about your crash, had a good wreck, got some injury yeah. there that took you out of motocross what drew you to hill climb how did that happen um i tried it a few times and it it, it was a lot of fun and i think kind of after my you know getting in the wreck on the motocross track you're racing motocross i mean it's isn't even watching you know there's say 10 guys in front of you you got guys to left and right of you there's guys behind you and when i started doing the hill climbing it's you against the clock by yourself on the hill you're just trying to get the best time you can. Nine times out of ten, if you're going to crash or things are going to go bad, you can just, you know, cut the bike off, you know, cut throttle, all right, you know, instead of looping your bike and flipping it and sending the bike for a ride. And it just, it became just an awesome adrenaline rush hill climbing. I mean, some of the hills I'd, I'd go to and it just became addicting. Adrenaline is the uh, the great drug it's hard to explain to people that haven't done it. So you being a hill climber, I'm an old motocross guy, so that's my deal. I always thought the hill climbers were freaking crazy. <laughs> but the only people more crazy is the guys catching your bike tumbling down the hill. And the hill climb in Idaho, that one was like that. It was up in uh, Smelterville, which is little, I'd say, 45 minutes east of Coeur d'Alene, just past the town of Kellogg. And it, the hill climb was in the middle of rock quarry, and they actually had guys with hooks because it had a vertical wall in the middle. I think that hill was, God, I want to say it was 900 feet. And I'd never made it over that one. I, there's a few other ones I did, but that one just, I could never get all the way to the top. But, man, it was fun trying. I don't see it. <laughs> we had, you know, in the gravel pits, we got some some hill climb stuff in and I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's for me. So kudos to you. Ball's way bigger than me. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, but then you took it. your kids and did it. Yeah. They, they got into it. Cause I mean, they started coming when I was really young or well, I was young. Well, I guess I was young. You know, we had kids young and, but you know, they started coming when they were little and you know, we got, got them on dirt bikes. Like my daughter got her, she had a PW 80. We had a little KTM 50 for my, the Hayden had and, you know, they got into it and they did it for a while. And it, it's a great family sport. I mean, I watched so many families grow up doing it. You know, a lot of guys or kids that come before you, you know, how time flies. I can remember some of these kids are racing the peewee class. Next time you know, you know, they're running the zero to 600 exhibition and modified classes on, you know, stretch CR 500s that are all just built to the hill, running alcohol. And it's like, man, where does time go? And, you know, it's been like that. It's crazy, and what most people see when they look at, you know, they see dirt bikes or, you know, hill climb bikes are dirt bikes, but when they say, or when they see people riding these things, we're just out causing trouble, right? They don't realize when you go to these events how how much of a close-knit family that, that everybody becomes. Oh, very true. I mean, I can remember one one hill climb. I freaking, what did they do? 
I did something I'm trying to remember now offhand. Oh, as I I crashed and I bent the bar so bad, I actually broke off the left side of the handlebar, you know, where you're clutching everything as I'd snap the bars. And I want to say it was a buddy of mine, Mickey Warfield. He's like, you're going to make an extra run? I'm like, dude, there's no way. My bars are broke. He's like, hold on. Brought his bike over. He goes, hey, he goes, I'm not running for like three or four hours. Let's just, we'll swap everything. Where he took his handlebars off, stuck them on mine so I can make my next run and finish my class. You know, get back there. We take them back off, put them back on his bike. But there were so many people like that. You're, you know, when you get into it, you're doing it for so long. You're right. You become that close-knit family. And somebody broke apart. They didn't have it. You know, I mean, we're all looking, hey, you know, do I have, something's going to help you do i got the piece and i mean i can remember sharing wheels and tires with people because you'd run like the uh pro modify class was a knobby so we'd all back then the big tire you wanted was a teraflex you cut every other row out and they were huge square knobs and those things would bite hard well then when you'd run the exhibition you could run paddle and i remember showing up one buddy of mine hey you can run the exhibition like no i didn't you know my paddle in order didn't show up. Hey, no problem, man. He goes, I got an extra wheel. He goes, we'll just, you know, pop your master link, slide this on end. We'll put the axle back a little bit farther. And, you know, you'd borrow somebody's setup and run the class and you give it back to them. It was, that was just how it worked. It was, it was just an awesome group of people to be around and be part of. Oh, for sure. Yep. Same at the motocross track. But what's most amazing is I think that's just the motorcycle industry in general, no matter what, if something happens and you're on the road out of town, riding your motorcycle don't you find the same experience yeah and you know i've i've ran into that before once when i the uh voltage regulator went out on my bike a couple years ago and this old guy had seen us at the gas station and he came back to town like two hours later like weren't you guys here earlier and, oh yeah I explained to him he's like what well, i got a road king he goes man i can go home and pull it off hey thank you i said you know i got a buddy he's on his way back from the other side of the cascades with one but no thank you and then you end up talking to the individual for a while on the side of the road and it's like that the motorcycle community is just an awesome group of people i mean how many times do you think about you go to a gas station to get gas and you're there for 10 15 minutes because the individual pump of gas on the other side maybe he rides and or a family member sees your bike and one little piece strikes up a conversation that takes you way longer than what you intended on your gas stop but you know you got to meet another person and, and share a story absolutely absolutely so Going through the hill climbing stuff, developing that family, that family branches off, continues on. What prompted you to leave that family and want to go on the road? I'd always had a, a drive to to eventually want to get on the road and, and you know, road riding. That was, you know, that, that side kind of was one of my dad's big passions. I mean, he's ridden on the road since, God, in the 70s. You know, he always had road bikes. And, you know, watching my stepdad, he'd always rode on the road. You know, I mean, he built his bikes from scratch and like you know i i, I want to experience that side of it and you know plus having kids and whatnot trying to travel to a lot of these places and whatnot it's also you know entry fees you know the travel and that stuff gets expensive it's like well you know maybe it's time to want to go play in the road and, and learn that side of the of motorcycling and you know sold my 500 and found a 83 honda saver and man i got that started riding on the road and Man, I fell in love with riding on the road. It's hard not to, and I'm where you live, such a beautiful part of the country to be riding in. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, I I live at the base of the Olympic Mountains on the peninsula, there's some great roads, but within two, two and a half hours, I mean, you can be at the foothills of the Cascades, and man, there are so many roads, and it is a, a beautiful place to go. I mean, you can go from the South Cascades up to the North and the mountain highways. I mean, that a day right up here can just be there's some absolute amazing scenery man you go from the ocean and, and go find the snow yeah when you got um when is your summer season like so talking about snow you guys don't get a lot of snow if i remember correctly no not usually i mean it we'll get a little bit maybe december but it doesn't hang around very long you know a couple of weeks and then usually you just kind of got the colder temperatures to deal with but no we're not a big snow climate kind of like you know you guys in the midwest Right. Is there an off season for riding where you, you know, bikes are just parked for this month or this two month period of the year or not really? Not really. I mean, some people do just because, you know, tempters, you know, some guys, hey, it's 40, 45 degrees. There's no way I want to go ride. I think it all just kind of depends on, on your styling. I mean, 
you know, if you want to throw on another layer of clothes, I mean, a guy realistically, you could ride year round up here. I mean, I went for a ride in November and, you know, I was thinking about going today, but it's raining. It's raining and I have your peg down doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no, I mean, you do have the opportunity you could ride year round up here. It's just, you know, you got to dress appropriately. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, I just asked because I don't know, you know, a friend of mine lives right near Seattle and, uh, you know, he snowmobiles all winter long, but I guess he can ride his motorcycle quite often too. I think I saw him on Facebook just the other day, uh, posted pictures riding his motorcycle, which makes me jealous. So it's yeah. good. You oh, get you to ride here. Yeah. Farian. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little, uh, east of Seattle out there, right at the foothills of the Cascades. Yeah. So after uh, your first bike, what was, uh, how many bikes have you had? And we'll get to what bike you're on now. So tell us your, your chain of bikes and what you, you know what, let's do something different. Tell us what you liked about each one of them, if you remember. Well, I mean, my the first one was the Honda Sabre, had the V45 750. I mean, it was a great, you know, a great starter bike for, you know, getting on the road. Really, there wasn't much complaints. It was it was a lot of fun. I took that. Actually, it was my first motorcycle trip. Me and my dad did a four-day loop around Washington State, you know, packed us up tents and gear and went for a ride. It was a lot of fun. You know, I'm not so sure there's anything that was super special about it. Just, you know, you wanted to – it had plenty to get up and go. Get on the highway, you want to get around cars. It was – it would move. I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I decided to kind of maybe go something little sporty. I picked up – a. God, I think it was an 83. It was 83 or 84, a GS 750 ES. Okay. Inline four. And that thing screamed. I mean, I was working out West and on highway 112, it's really windy and curvy. And that was kind of the beginning of the sport bikes. And I got to the point, I was just, I was pushing it too hard and too fast. Like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to end up getting hurt. And I let that one go. And then after that, I got a, a Suzuki Boulevard 2005, the C50 and that bike was super comfortable. You know, that kind of got me into the cruisers and say, so, yeah, back and I really enjoyed world. that bike. Yeah. After having the sport bike is this, I've kind of really enjoyed laying the curves and, you know, high speed cornering and whatnot, but it's like, yeah, I, I could see bad things were going to happen if I would have hung on to it. So <laughs> I decided, you know, we're going to go to the cruiser world and, you know, go for that comfort. And man, the Boulevard was a great, it was a great bike. You know, I think they kind of, really priced them right you know i could see where they kind of save some costs the fenders were plastic on them but they were super comfortable i mean even you know and my wife she loved that bike we'd you know take little day rides and trips and it was super comfortable had it all set up for the touring put the windshield on it had a tea bag on the back with the saddlebags you know the floorboards highway pegs had to put the cobra slash cuts on it and you know for the little small metric between it sounded you know really decent with the uh with the Cobras on it. It was a great, comfortable bike. Yeah, and once you get some of that tweaking done to kind of fine-tune it for you to make it fit you, any motorcycle's great. I I love them all. Um, I always say, oh, I want one of those. And Renee, actually, she always says, you just want all the motorcycles, don't you? Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Why not? That's what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah, you got to have one for, yeah, you got to have one for different events. My touring bike, my you know, adventure bike. I want to go ride the trails bike, my Sunday bike, my hooligan bike, my day hopper bike. I mean, guy needs like seven of them. That's a fact. And you're a podcast expert. So now it's official. See, now I can tell her. See, even Denver says, (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So you, um, you mentioned the four day trip around Washington with your dad. That is something that I have not gotten to do. Just take a motorcycle trip with uh, dad or dad and my brother we talked about it. Um, actually, we were going to do it in 20. I believe it was 20 when uh, we were going to do the run for the wall. And it, you know, that, of course, just nothing happened. So we, we still haven't done it other than just a day ride. So that's pretty cool. Tell us about that. You know, what was, you know, give us a story or two from that. Because that's what we're into, right? Trying to get your stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a good one. So it was a lot of fun. We left here. And Cruise Highway 20 goes kind of through northern Washington. And we headed up over the North Cascades Highway. And our first night, we stayed up in Winthrop. And we stayed at this little campground. Winthrop is a small town kind of built around 
the western western theme you know you have the boardwalk sidewalks and you know the whole town basically like you're in the turn of the century late 1800s 1900s it's a cool place sure and so we're up at the campground kind of up around the corner from three finger jack's little bar and saloon and my dad had a buddy staying up there so we went and saw him for a little while and him and his girlfriend they had these mirror tickets i think they're like right behind home plate he's like we're gonna stay up here you guys take them and dad looked at him he's like hey we're not going back to town he goes well i don't care do whatever you want it's like we don't want them tickets for what you you said it was for a Mariners game, baseball. Okay. Yeah. Down in Seattle. And so we went back down to the bar and we're having a few drinks before you know, we ventured back up to our camp. And they had a game playing. And remember, the bartender had a Mariners shirt. He's like, hey, let's just give them to her. I'm like, cool. So, you know, we ended up talking to her and dad gave her the tickets. And she's, you know, basically ends up letting us drink on the house. <laughs> and the Perfect. next morning, oh, yeah. So I can remember the next morning. I'm just, you know, still kind of in my tent and I can already hear my dad's bike running. He's like, we got to go. I'm like, you know, it's six, six thirty in the morning and okay. he's going nuts. And I'm like, all right, he's literally taking down my tent while I'm still in it. So I quickly, you know, get up, we get dressed, we're packing things up. And as we're leaving, I can look at the little cabin. There's, you know, showers in there, a couple washers and dryers for doing clothes and bathrooms. And there was water running out of the front door. I'm like, what the heck? He's like, I want to use the bathroom and the whole it plugged up and something broke and just <laughs> flooded the whole building. There's water coming out the door. She's like, we got to go. <laughs> what the hell? And you get downtown, there's this little bakery. The town smells made. Hey, let's, you know, grab some meat. He's like, uh, next town, next town, we're leaving. <laughs> and it's just one of those little things. Like I will never forget rolling out of the campground. There's water running out the front door of the cabin. Oh, that's hilarious. Like, Holy cow, dad. That's my dad. <laughs> yep. A good comical one. That's funny. You went for a while without a bike, right? Yeah. Had a short hiatus without one. Okay. And that was when I had the boulevard and, you know, I had to let it go for some reasons. And we had a, you know, it was probably shoot eight or nine years, 10 years without one. You know, and during that time, you know, my, I knew it was like, there'd be times my dad be out of town. And I'd call him, hey, you know, I need to go for a ride. I come get the bike. And he was always, hey, you know where it's at? And, Okay, so I could, you know, still had the luxury of being able to still ride during that time when I didn't have one. And I can remember one of those times, because my dad is also in the hot rods. He's got a really nice 73 Dodge Challenger. Okay. And he was down at a big car show in Oregon for, it was four or five days. And I think I I went up to get his bike on that Friday, went for a ride, and I came back that night and my stepmom comes up. She's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I told dad I just should go for a little ride and, you know, bringing the bike back. She's like, Dad's at Oregon. I say, I know he's down in Oregon, but, you know, I'm just using it for today. Like, he's not going to be home till Monday or Tuesday. She goes, I'm going to ask you again, what are you doing? And then I kind of realized what she's saying. I'm <laughs> giving going idea. back home with the bike. Yeah. Yeah, I, I rode the heck out of it that week, and it was fun. But when it was uh, two and a half, three years ago now, when uh, I got a call from my stepmom that my dad really needed to talk to me, and I'm like, okay, let me, you know, put him on the phone. And she's like, no, you need to come up here. I was like, well, I can't do that. You know, we were up in Cedar Woolley at a baseball tournament. And I'm like, no, so let me talk to dad. And, you know, she was very adamant it wasn't going to happen. I tried calling his phone. She would answer it. And I, it was pushing my buttons. I was getting irritated. Finally, I was like, you know what? I'll see you tomorrow because I can't be there today. Sure. And then the next day we get up there and they wanted, you know, all the kids to come up and everything too. And I was like, well, this is kind of strange, but okay. So me and the wife and, you know, the boys go up there because my daughter doesn't, she doesn't live at home anymore. She lives over north of Seattle. So the four of us go up there and, you know, my dad comes out and he's got this little envelope and it's sitting on the table outside the house. And he gets in the spiel about, you know, he goes, I've been so proud of you guys, you know, the way we raised our kids, you know, our daughter was into showing horses and, you know, did a lot of stuff of that. You know, we got, she did club volleyball and we'd focus our whole life around the kids. You know, the boys got into travel baseball and they fell in love with them. I mean, my, Hayden went to college on a baseball scholarship. Oh, wow. You know, and they've, they've been able to travel all over the West Coast playing baseball. I mean, Seth played all the way down and went into California and Oregon. You know, they played in Idaho, all over. And it's been so awesome being able to follow their adventures. And, you know, they're kind of, we're living the dream and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, seeing you guys sacrifice everything. And it's like, well, it's not so much we sacrificed. No, we love watching the kids do it. It was a lot of fun, you know. and 
you, in a way you talk about the motorcycle family, well, we also found that within baseball and sports, you know, you do something with the same group of family Mm -hmm. for so many years, it becomes like a family. And my dad, he goes, well, I went and bought a new bike. I'm like, Hey, you know, congrats. He's like, but there's no way I could trade in the road glide. He goes, you know, we used to have a lot of fun riding. He goes, you've been without a bike for a while. He goes, so the only real thing to do is give you the title to your bike. He goes, there's your bike. He goes, I want to, you know, continue our riding adventures and, and, you know, the day rides and trips we used to do. He goes, so he goes, you know, now we both got road glides. That's so cool. That's such a cool story. And I've heard it, I've heard it on your show and I've really wanted you to share that because it's just cool because it just proves that these trips didn't only mean something to you, but they were, they meant a lot to your dad. They were very important to him, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, in a, in a way, I got to say the comical part is, you know, he hands me the title. He goes, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun. He goes, the only catch, and he kind of pulls the title back. He's like, I've had a trip planned, and my bike won't be here till next week, so you can come back next week and get it. <laughs> hey, what? Like, you know, don't don't wreck my bike. Yeah. Yeah, right. Here, here's a new he, bike. He had a big it. trip planned. Yeah. He had a big trip planned for got six, seven months up through Canada, him and, you know, his buddy says he puts on a ride every year in June. There's around 10 of them. They take off in either direction. And depending on, you know, where they kind of plan the trip, he's like, you know, I can't get my bike yet. So when I get back, you can get it. I'm like, okay. I remember the afternoon he got back at like three, you know, it's like, I want to go for a ride. I call him. Hey, you know, can I come up? Oh, I'm kind of tired, but uh, I'll get my stuff unpacked tomorrow. I'm like, tell you what, Just I'll come up and pack you. for you. No problem. <laughs> Yeah. So I went up there that day. I unpacked the bike for him. He's like, I didn't even get to clean it. I thought I'll clean it. Yes, I'm happy to. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I knew that part of it, that uh, you had to literally evict him from your new motorcycle. Yeah, I, I never actually kind of shared that part. It was pretty funny, though, even though he gives it to me. But you're going to have to wait a week. <laughs> well, that sucks. That's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. You, I, and I forgot about this. I don't have this anywhere in my notes. You, you talked about baseball. You're a baseball announcer, correct? Yeah, I've been doing that. I think this year will be my sixth year of, of doing that. And honestly, I think that baseball announcing, I think really helped me get comfortable with wanting to do, you know, my podcast because I was never one for public speaking. Matter of fact, I was terrified of it. And when we have a local, it's kind of like a, high school college summer team it's a 19u team so depending on your birthday you know like some of the players freshmen in college they will could still be eligible to come back and play for the wilder baseball club which has been around in the community now just over 40 years i mean they've developed some great kids great players and it's an awesome program and so i went to being their announcer they called me said hey would you be interested we need somebody and Cause I think I made a joke about doing it and they kind of took it serious. That's how so, people get roped into that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I can remember the very first one up here, they do a really big tournament every, every year, the firecracker tournament, which is four days long. And I mean, they bring in international teams. There's teams from Australia, Canada come down and there's kind of a lot to it. The, you know, reading all the sponsorships names, you know, trying to get, you know, the credit due to all the people that help out, you know, not just that, but, you know, trying to not butcher the names of the players. And there's a lot that goes into it. And I remember the first day I was up in the booth just before, you know, reading the big opening ceremony packet and, you know, everything I was just going through. I was so nervous. I was ready to throw up in the garbage can. Like, I don't think I can do this. It got a little easier as time went on. And then, you know, at that time, all I had was like my, and I, what the hell was it? My, uh, well, I had my iPhone and like an old, like not an iPad. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, Anyways, we're playing music. Yeah, iPod. And so it's like, I'm just going to, yeah, <laughs> iPod. There we go. I kept wanting to say iPad. Yeah. And I just had a little iPad. And so, you know, trying to play some music in between stuff. And then the next year, it's like, you know what? It kind of upgraded a little bit. I was using my old iPhone. And then I also brought up the computer. And so we went through, I would do walk-up music for all the kids. You know, every kid on the team had their own walk-up music when they come up to bat. They would have their own walk-up music. They were pitchers. Hey, can you play this song when I'm warming up? And I would do all the music in between games. And then I got asked if I would also do it for the high school. 
And so then I was doing it for the high school. I was doing it for the Wilder Baseball Club. So I would start, you know, doing baseball stuff in March and all the way to August every year. And it was a lot of fun. And I think what I enjoyed is I'd coached baseball for 10, 11 years. But when my boys went to high school, I didn't want to coach them in high school. I didn't want to be that dad that, you know, having my sons playing, you know, varsity and people say, oh, he's just only on the varsity team because his dad's in the dugout. And I didn't want that. If my sons were going to be able to make the teams, then I wanted to see them make it on their own merit. I was just going to watch. And then I got, you know, ended up transitioning up to the booth, wishing away can say is the greatest seat in the house because when it's cold and wind's blowing, I'm in my own little room and I was warm. Yeah, no kidding. Regardless of weather. Parents out there. Yeah. You know, some parents would be huddled in blankets and whatnot, and I can just be up in the booth in a t-shirt and calling the baseball game. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed doing it. And I don't think I'll be able to do it just for the high school this year, but I, I did let the Wilder Baseball Club know, hey, I would, you know, love to come back. And, you know, their response was, you know, you're you're the voice of Wilder Baseball. She goes, you know, we want you to come back until you don't want to come back. I'm like, well, eh, I got no plans of, of leaving the announcing booth because it, it's a lot of fun and I love baseball. So I'll go watch baseball and sit up in the booth. Yeah, that's awesome. That is cool. And it's a cool way. It's a fun way that most people don't realize you're giving back to your community and doing it. True. And, you know, I've had some parents from other teams come up, you know, they've come find me. It's like, you know, we've never been somewhere where people actually pronounce the name right. And it's like, I told them, well, you know, before a game, I would go get my roster and, you know, read through the names and I would go to the coach and say, Hey, how do you pronounce this one? Right. And I'd write it down in pronunciation so I could try to pronounce it. Right. I mean, you always have those kids in schools that have some of those names that are they're just not easy to, pr- to pronounce. And, you know, you get some foreign names and it can be a little difficult, but I tried to do it the best I could, you know, to, you know, let them hear their name over the loudspeakers. And, you know, what kid doesn't dream of hearing their name called coming up to the plate. And so I just tried to do the best I could. And, you know, people really seem to enjoy it and really change the whole atmosphere of games in our community. I mean, I've had now been called, like this year, I did the Little League championship game. The Little League called, hey, would you come announce our name? Say, hey, or announce our game. I'm like, absolutely not a problem. And then I had the Junior Babe Ruth championship. I had the that league call me, hey, would you want to do our game for us? And sure. And, you know, now it's, you know, becoming, I guess, in a way, I became a name of, of baseball in the community the last few years, which is a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of fun, especially if you love doing it. But the cool thing is what an honor to be thought of every time somebody needs something. It means you're doing a good job. Yeah, it is. An, it is a neat honor. And, you know, it's very, very flattering to, to get those calls for sure. And, you know, I basically kind of made my, my own little equipment. You know, I got a backpack. Now I take the iPad. I got my computer laptop that goes with me because you know, I got thousands of songs. I have baseball playlists and all in my iTunes and I enjoy it. So, you know, I'd love to give back to the community and yeah, I'll good keep for you as long as I can. Good for you. That's awesome. So very, very cool. Let's go back to uh, the motorcycle world. I, I love the fact that you're giving back to the community. That is so cool. I didn't know that. So good for you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So you say you kind of gave us the right lead in, I guess, in that story that kind of gave you some confidence or, uh, I don't know, a good feeling maybe about starting your own podcast, not afraid of public speaking anymore. So talk about how, how you came up with the idea to start this, the V twin life podcast and uh, some of your early learnings. Well, I kind of came up with the idea. It's like, you know, I, it's hard to find, you know, other motorcycle related podcasts that I enjoy hearing reading, you know, uh, reading writing stories, you know, about traveling different places. And, you know, I've kind of said it before, it's like, you know, when it comes to motorcycle publications, I really liked Rider and Roadrunner Magazine. They talked a lot about travel. And it's like, you know, I kind of want to try something like that. Here's some stories, you know, kind of help build your own bucket list, so to speak, at different places that you'd love to visit the United States. You see them all, but why not? Yeah, hear exactly. From a point of view instead of seeing it in a publication. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And, you know, I talk to my wife, she said, Hey, you know, do it. She goes, you know, you enjoy motorcycles and whatnot. She goes, you know, maybe, you know, see how it goes. It's like, ah, you know, you know, it took me a little bit to try to find a a good name. And I came upon the V twin life. It's like V twins. It's not so much brand specific. I mean, 
look across the motorcycle industry, dang near everybody makes a V-twin. I wasn't trying to make it just brand specific to say, you know, Harley Davidson. I don't care what a person rides. And so October uh, 2020, the V-twin life was born. And I, you know, really didn't so much have a expectations. Like, you know, I had no idea what to expect really. It's like either it's going to do horribly and nobody's going to care or, or maybe some people will tune in and want to listen to it. And I was quite amazed at the, the feedback. And I got back even after the first episode, which was with the great, you know, he's now passed a mutual friend, I guess you can say we had was Leo McElrath or Ellen Poor Photo. Yep. And it was really cool for me. You know, I remember reaching out to him and, you know, he jumped, oh, I'd love to. I was like, holy cow, really? And I was shocked. And, you know, the few phone calls we had beforehand talking and he had some cool stories. It was really neat to hear the background of how people get into motorcycles. It's kind of, you know, in a way how I start mine, you know, where'd you, where'd motorcycles come into life for you? And to hear the stories, you know, how people got into it, you know, when they got their first bike or, you know, kind of like his where he'd bought one and actually hid it from his parents because he knew they wouldn't like it and then were against them. And yep. it's hearing those little stories like that, that was, you know, really neat. And it just kind of grew from there. You'd send out messages and, you know, different people. And I just kind of go through social media, find somebody that's got a motorcycle pictures. Cool. Hey, maybe they'll want to talk motorcycles and, you know, come on and share some stories. And it just grew like crazy. I I never expected it. And here you are, 50-some episodes in, now called Mileposts, which we already talked about that, which is great. I, I I think that name is so cool, and I remember when you came up with it, you had reached out to me and said something about it, and I'm like, oh, that is brilliant, especially for what you're talking about, people and their riding stories. Yeah, and it seemed awesome, you know, a Milepost, because we look at them all day when we're out riding, and mm-hmm. it's been awesome. Like I said, yeah. Tomorrow, milepost 53 will be on. Is it tomorrow that 53 comes on? Uh, we'll be recording 53 live on YouTube tomorrow night, and then the uh, audio version gets released on Wednesday that goes out to all the streaming networks. Oh, cool. Well, so that'll tell people when we're recording. So I think everybody knows by now, but uh, this show is recorded because of travel schedule, travel and other life event schedules that all of us get to deal with. So we are recording today is, what is it, the 20th? 19th today, February 19th. 19th. This this episode will come out on the 28th, which will be um, episode number five for me. So you're about 50 ahead of me, especially by the time this thing comes out. So it tells you I'm a little behind the eight ball right now and having to get these things done. So I appreciate you taking your riding day Saturday keeping the rain gear hanging in the closet and calling me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, not a problem. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun being on the other end of it. It's, you know, a a different experience. It's a lot of fun when you're, you know, you're the host too, but it's a different perspective when you're on the other side of it. And no, I love it, man. I was, I was honored when you called to, Hey, you know, I want to have you in mind. I'm like, freaking awesome. I love it. (laughs) That's cool. You mentioned in yours, you're now doing yours on YouTube as well. What, Yes. prompted that addition to getting your show out there? Uh, I think I kind of always had it as a goal that I, I wanted to figure out some way to get there. And I, I, Brian the Biker was a big help for that. I mean, he tried to help me do it because I know a lot of people in the beginning were doing it through Zoom, but I'm not a computer smart individual. And Zoom, I just, I wasn't a fan of it. I really couldn't understand it. And it's like, yeah, this just ain't going to work for me because you have to do it through a computer and I'm just me and computers. We don't get along. I and then can relate. I heard a stream yard and it is so user friendly. I mean, you can, great thing is it's also mobile friendly. You can record and go live on StreamYard When you log into the, you know, you make your little account, you can set it to stream on Facebook, you know, the other place like Twitch, YouTube, there's, I think close to 15 different places. If you want to, you know, click them all, you could send that one broadcast to multiple platforms. And so I just use it. I also have mine set up to go to my YouTube and it's so easy to use. I've, I've been a guest in other ones instead of having to set up my whole computer and all this stuff. It's like, well, I'm just going to use the iPad and, you know, set up on a stand and you have that option because not everybody uses computers. So I've had guests like, well, can I just use my phone? I'm like, yeah, dude, not a problem at all. And so, you know, thanks for the help of Brian. I've 
you know, use a stream yard, move to YouTube. And I think the video interface kind of makes it a little bit more personal in a way you're, you're face to face, essentially, even though that person might be on the other side of the country. And I really think it kind of helps, helps the conversation. You'll be able to see that individual that you're talking to and doing them live is a lot of fun. You got the, you know, the kind of what they call the side chat going and their time, somebody in the side chat, you know, they might bring up a great question they have. And it's like, man, that's a great idea. And their stream air, it's like, I can click on that and it'll highlight it on the screen. Hey, you know, so-and-so brought up a great point and you know, that one question, Hey, that could spur three or four more. And yeah, absolutely. it's a lot of fun. Help keep the conversation moving or swing it to a oh, direction yeah. that people want to know about. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, going to YouTube has been a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, using the StreamYard program, once you're done recording it, you can grab that audio and I can upload it right into Anchor, who is, you know, the host platform for my podcast. And so I can put that audio right into my Anchor library and it's done. And there it is to, you know, then you do the little other work you got to do to get it all set up and, you know, release out on Wednesday. So my podcast now I do live on Sundays and then the audio version comes out on Wednesdays is, you know, there's still some of the people might not want to tune in on YouTube, but Hey, they can pull up the streaming side and stream it on Wednesday at noon Pacific. Yeah. That's awesome. And I know uh, like you, John Ferry, and you guys have mentioned that I should bring this one to YouTube and just the, the live deal. I can't commit to making that work, which I wish I could, but I just can't seem to. And on StreamYard, can you, no, you can't. You can't play the video and record it and have somebody chiming in because, of course, it's over before they would see it. <laughs> Duh. But you can also, if you want to, you can just record a podcast. And you don't have to go live. You can just bring, invite somebody in and record it, and then you could, you know, air and put it on YouTube or, you know, your Facebook, wherever, if you wanted to, and have the vid- video. You don't have to use StreamYard just to go live. You can do the interface where... You know, if you want to sit down and just record a video for yourself to publish somewhere, you can use that because they have other little features, you know, putting, you know, your logo in the, in the side. You know, you can make little banners going across the bottom while you're doing your video. There's a lot of little features, and even the free version has a lot of stuff that you can do to enhance your video right through their own program. No, that's cool. When you first started, did you start yours on Anchor? Like most people, it was just you, um, the Anchor link, and... Anchor did all the recording for you? Yeah, that's how I did it for a long time, which is Anchor. You know, you send that your guest a text and record it over the phone. Just, you know, you try to tell them, hey, headphones really help. You don't get the feedback sometimes. And then trying to make sure that, you know, both you and the your guests have the best internet connection you could get. Because that's kind of one thing I found was a downfall. You get frustrated is the internet latency sometimes. But yeah. there really wasn't much you could do to edit that out. Right. And I remember early on in yours, how you, it, we talked about it, actually, you know, I think I had reached out to you and said, hey, do you know this is happening? And, and you did. So that was good. You did know and you got it corrected. Yeah, it's one of those things you had to live with. And Yeah, I was going to ask. So in starting the podcast, what was your biggest struggle? And I, and I don't I'm not asking this. You and I talk enough off air where you've helped me quite a bit with mine. Um, I've had some other input from people that have helped a ton. But in yours, and this is not to try to, you know, become a better show. This is, I want people to know how hard this really is because I am learning this now going into episode five. This is way more difficult than I thought. So talk a little bit about that. When you first started your podcast, like your biggest struggle or two or three struggles, what did you really struggle with at first? In the beginning, it's even just anchor gives you limited editing. And sometimes I think the hardest part is like you would record it. You come back and play the podcast through and you'd have a lot of dead space to say it's like you could bring up a question to the other person uh, and they're thinking, you know, because maybe, you know, you got a good question. They kind of got to catch them off guard for a minute or something. And it was trying to, you know, listen to it and go back through and edit and clip out, you know, five second pieces here and then 10 seconds there you got to clip on another one. And just trying to condense it so you don't have that large amount of dead space. That was kind of the the hard part learning and that's when I found out that editing you really had to do on a computer and not like an iPad or a phone because it didn't give you uh, the ability to edit in depth as it does on a, on a desktop version or you know say your laptop where they gave you a little bit more 
editing options to you know try to condense it but you're only allowed so many edits per podcast i want to say it's like 50 because i've made one and i didn't know that and the guest called me back like hey did you listen to that after you edited i'm like actually i didn't know and it had actually chopped up and brought back the beginning halfway through i'm like oh crap and i'd already published it so i quickly deleted it and luckily he also had a copy because he had ran his own podcast and actually sent me his version that he recorded from his end because once I chopped it up and resaved it, I didn't save it correctly where I could go back and try to re-edit the original again. So you know, Anchor, kind of a, a Anchor limits to how many cuts you can put in those? I think so. I want to say it's 50, unless maybe they've changed it. Hmm, I don't know. I'm, I'm taking notes here because I'm going to ask you about a few things. So please continue <laughs> getting rid of the dead and, space and that stuff was your big struggle in the beginning yeah you know because the first couple it's like you just record it and then it's like hey cool boom publish it and then you know you get feedback from you know people that were listening it's like okay you know and let me try to figure this out and then you know trying to making your cover getting you know the a right kind of you know picture for your social media and that's one thing i gotta say that i really liked with anchor is being able to change the cover art for every episode. It doesn't, like uh, iTunes, they, they won't show that, but you can go, say, if a person tunes in on Spotify, that cover art, because I change it for every one. I make it, you know, to show that episode, hey, you know, here's a picture of, you know, say, Salty and Sprinkles, Big Smitty, or guys that I've had on. So every cover art is that person. You know, people can, oh, hey, that's so-and-so. Yeah, I want to check this one out. And that is one neat thing that I do like about Spotify is because they will allow you to change it and on their format, but some of the other listening formats for streaming, that part of it doesn't show up, but you know, that's what it is. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't change, you know, like, I guess when you go into iTunes, that's the cover art for mine. We never change it. We change it in our posts. You know, like when you see our posts on Facebook or Instagram, mm-hmm. the, there's every one of those has changed and I don't know if anybody knows that you and I have never met in person. So that'll be a new one for us. I don't have a picture of you and I together. Like I have been on the first ones. So I'm going to have yeah, to say, send me one you like. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's kind of, you know, like now I'm going to, you know, want to record a couple of different audio ones. Now that, you know, myself, I've got some different audio equipment now with, you know, a new microphone. I kind of want to see how that's going to do. I'd like to record one so much, you know, not from YouTube, but just do an audio one and see how it, my audio changes now with, you know, kind of the new setup that I got going on too, which will be curious is I just always use the standard earbuds that come with my iPhone. You know, they got the little microphone and that's all I've ever used. And I was recording over the phone, but now that I've, you know, switched up to YouTube, I had a, a user that has followed the podcast, became great friends with, sent me an, an amazing new camera, blue Yeti microphone. I got different mic stands, a boom stand, and he sent me a bunch of equipment, which is freaking amazing. That is really cool. Hey, more motorcycle community love right there. Yeah. You know, he'd upgrade it to a bunch of new stuff. He's like, hey, man, he goes, I really want to help you out. And so he'd send me this stuff. I was freaking amazed. It was totally unexpected. I get this huge box in the mail and open it up. And I'm like, holy cow. I mean, some of the stuff was still in the original packaging. That's, you know, Makes what's funny about that? It went and bought it. Is, uh, I had a podcast before. It was a, a local thing, not motorcycle industry at all. I, and I made it like, I don't know, 10 or 12 episodes and it was really hard to find guests and it, it was a struggle. And finally, you know, it was at the point where wild ass started to go and I needed to either focus on that or do both of them half-assed. And I wasn't about to do that. So I ended up just, you know, not recording any more episodes and I have all the equipment here. Couldn't get it to work, you know, with the previous podcast was face to face. People come in and we do it. Doesn't Mm -hmm. work over the phone. And I found out about, Maybe a week ago, maybe it was last weekend, I found out there's a kid that works over at Clockworks. His name is Shelton, and he wants to start a uh, podcast. Not in, the, And it doesn't sound like it's going to be in the motorcycle industry because it's some other things that he wants to do. And I just sent him a message. I think it was yesterday. If I check my Instagram, I bet it was yesterday. I'm like, hey, did you ever get any, do you have any equipment yet or whatever? Well, I boxed all of it up, and it's leaving here on Monday to get, he doesn't know it's coming. So same thing. That's pretty cool. It's cool to hear that people do that, I think, is yeah. my point, that, you know, help each other out. I mean, a uh, uh, rising tide lifts all ships, right? So we all get better. It's a better place. Exactly. I guess that's what I'm getting at there. 
Yeah, it's a whole, you know, giving back thing. Yeah, and I'm not using it. So what am I going to do with it? Put it on eBay and not get paid for it? So this way I give it to him. Yeah, I mean, what can start. Yeah, you call, you know, give him back or, you know, pay it forward, whatever, you know, your way you want to get to it. It's, you know, you, you help that person. Hey, you know, I got something that can help you out. Let me, let me send you this. So I know that he'll be listening to this. Of course, he'll have the equipment before this thing goes live. And I think he's a few episodes behind because he just kind of sent me a message and you know, had found it somewhere, probably seen it in one of our posts or something. I'm not sure. But he'll have that. So what else has been tough? Getting rid of dead space was was one that I can really relate to. But what else other than that? What did? How about your equipment? Your, you got this new stuff. Did you have an in-between or... Did you go straight from the no, actually, the, earbuds to what you got now? Yeah, I literally this week. I you know I've been using my earbuds the whole time, whether the you know plug-in ones or Bluetooth. I always you know worry about the Bluetooth. Is the battery going to last long and die in the middle of it because that would suck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of you know upgrading and you know progressing. I guess you could say now you know kind of up in my game, so to speak. That's cool because you the got biggest I, thing. I think also is oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. It just also tried to, you know, get your guests lined up so where you're not crammed to, you know, making yourself pressured to get one, you know, one, two, three days. So that's the thing I've been learning, especially doing them on YouTube, is trying to line it up a week ahead so you can get it scheduled so it shows up on your YouTube page. So then, you know, you can post it up on your social media platforms to, you know, start getting the word out so people, you know, want to come in and attend and, you know, watch it, get the side chat and, so trying to really stay ahead of the curve, as I've learned now on the YouTube side, is kind of important. Oh, for sure. How how much time are you spending rounding up guests and getting things organized per episode on average, you think? Oh, you spend at least a few hours because, you know, you, you get the guests down. But, you know, my setup, I like to at least talk to the person once or twice on the phone. You know, it's that way, in a sense, you're not going into a blind, you know, kind yeah. of get get to know the person away you know kind of lay down a little you know based conversation you know kind of get a little bit of their backstory ahead of time you know talk to them kind of you know hey this is kind of how i like to do things this is what i you know kind of a small little rundown of kind of how the you know how it's going to go how you know question wise and and get those things laid out and then just kind of build that friendship because like i said before that's the other awesome thing about this podcast that i can say is I built a friendship with every person that I've had on, Yep. you know, and you're another prime example. I mean, we talk at least what every, probably every two weeks or so. And there's a lot of guys that still stay in contact with, they get messages from, you know, we got group chats and phone calls and that in a way I would, I'd say is the biggest reward of this whole thing is that friendship of people that I have that I've made. And if it wasn't for this, I know that when I wouldn't have those friends. Absolutely. That's, it's cool. And all of it done off of, a set of earbuds and a stock iPhone and an microphone. IPhone. Yeah. 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 That's how it all started. You know, I kind of watched some YouTube videos, Hey, how to start a podcast and ain't everybody always talked about anchor is a great thing. Cause it's free. You know, here's how to use it. And you got a smartphone. I mean, literally that's all you need. You could always just hold it up your ear. Like you're on a normal phone call or, you know, the earbuds kind of make it handier so you can set it on a little stand or lay it on the table. So if you got notes you're making or writing, your hands are free and it's, it's an easy to use kind of platform to introduce you to get started. And then, man, you can go down that rabbit hole of equipment just to make yourself better as you progress and, and keep going. Yeah, for sure. No, that's cool. I was going to mention you had talked about dead space in that editing. That dead space that, that we talk about, is that, I know the answer for me, but is that because you're an announcer that you notice the dead space so much? Uh, it could kind of, in a way, yeah. I think that's fair. And, you know, I had a, a couple people comment on it also, and I've, you know, it's that learning curve. Okay, how can I fix this? And kind of got to educate yourself a little bit. You know, do do your homework, and I was able to eliminate. I would like to say, you know, ninety percent of out of most of the most episodes. You know, you kind of condense, and you might end up shortening it a minute or two. And but you know, you kind of keeps that flow going pretty smooth through the whole thing. And I, you know, I will say I liked it better. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's funny because I'm. You know, I had a racetrack back in the day, and, and dead space was my pet peeve, was when they're, you know, you'd go to a racetrack. I'm a huge stock car fan. I love, like, dirt track stock cars. I just can't stand it when you're sitting there, and the cars, for instance, are off the track, and it's completely quiet. Like, the announcer's not talking. There's nothing on the track. That, to me, is dead space, and it drives me insane when I'm at the events. 
It's like, come on, entertain us, do something, talk, talk about the next race, talk about something. And having dead space is brutal when I go to the racetrack. So I was just wondering if that kind of relayed into the uh, podcast world, because same thing here. If it's more than a half a second, I'm like, oh, get that off there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we get that in a way. We Other baseball games go somewhere in you know, between innings where it's just dead silent, you know, that kids are warming up on the field or whatnot. And it's like all the parent, other parents will look at me. This really sucks. I wish we were playing at home. <laughs> Another compliment for and Denver. You, yeah, you don't realize just how much it, it really changes the environment. I mean, you know, a little bit of music, I guess, in a way you say, hey, you know what? It goes a long way of instead of listening to just silence, you know, you got some tunes. I mean, I, one of the funniest ones I can remember, it was between an inning and I sparked up some song. I think it was actually was Sunflower, I think was Post Malone that sung it. And the catcher who was warming up his pitcher, he was down there dancing, you know, up and down, <laughs> bouncing around. And, he, you know, even the catcher, the other team, you know, they were getting into it. And I will say I did have one complaint, though. One time we had an opposing team. The coach went out there to talk to his pitcher. You ever heard Abbott Costello, the great baseball routine, who's on first, who's yes. on second, or yep. what's on second? Yep. Oh, I keyed that up. And he got pissed. He stormed, you know, from the pitcher's mouth, staring at me to the point after the game in the parking lot, having to stare down. I'm like, you want to say something? It's, it's all meant in good humor, man. And everybody in the stands was dying laughing. I guess he took offense to it, but it's like, whatever. Probably having a bad day. Did, was his team uh, getting beat? Probably if he had to go talk to the pitcher. It, yeah, it was. And even, you know, I talked to our coach. He's like, dude, that's hysterical. He goes, he goes, if I ever go to the mound or anybody, he goes, I want to play it every time. He goes, that's just, that is the most classic baseball. He goes, that's a compliment in a way. And, you know, we, we all think different ways, but you know, I think that's the only negative side of the whole thing I've ever had in the years of doing it was that one time. And it was just one person, everybody else, you know, the hundred plus people there, they were dying laughing, but yeah, whatever. Yep. Well, that's cool. I mean, I've even gotten the umpires where you think they make a bad call, strike a batter out, and then I keyed up blinded by the light. <laughs> you know, it was sunshiny that day. No offense, the sun's out. I try to have fun, you know. We, we make everybody laugh. You got to have some humor in, in life to keep it going. Yeah, for sure. Sounds like you're doing a good job of it, and uh, it'd, it'd be fun to sit in one of the one of those games, sit in the bleachers and listen to you. Oh, absolutely. Got to get you out here in the summertime. I have to come out there. Um, so John Farian, we talked about him. His wife is my wife's cousin. So that's... And, and, and John and I went to school together back in the 1900s. So we've known each other for a long time. And then I guess technically you could say we're almost related, I guess. But we have to get the girls together out there. That's kind of one of the deals. So we'll have to get out there and maybe taking in a baseball game is something we can do. Yeah, he's only it's like two and a half hours from my place to his. Right. And that seems like a pretty good motorcycle ride for our fellow new rider out there in Seattle area. Yeah, you fight a little bit of Highway 18 traffic, you hit I-5 for about six miles and you get on Highway 16 and, oh yeah, I can email, I make that drive every day. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your day job, what do you do? I'm a commercial truck driver, I haul lumber every day, you know, most of the time I go from here in Port Angeles to Tacoma, twice a day hauling lumber, driving a big 18-wheeler, well actually it's 26, I got a four-axle truck, four-axle trailer because we're a heavy haul flatbed. You know, we haul 105,500 pounds. Light little load to pull down the freeway and make sure that you get it stopped in time. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes I really wish people would have a little bit more sense when they want to cut you off and then slam on their brakes. It's like, you know, we can't stop quick. And it, there you get some hairy situations, and sometimes just people would have a little bit more common sense or well, respect. Yeah, for sure. My brother's a truck driver, and he says the cure for that is to give truckers one free day. Whatever happens, the truckers won't be held accountable. He said people will never pull in front of us again. Oh, that and, you know, a lot of people don't like them, but a dash camera. I mean, we we don't have to run them in our trucks for the company we work at, but all of our drivers do. And it has saved our company a couple of times from accidents where people tried to pin it on the truck driver. And the cops say, you know, come up, this happened, this happens. Like, that's not even close to what happened. Yeah. And, you know, we had one driver, a lady actually did a pit maneuver on herself against the front of his truck and he pushed her broadside down the highway and she tried to claim he switched lanes and hit her and, and they came to talk to him. So, Hey, this is what happened. He's like, well, no, it's not. And 
you know, the well, this is her statement. He's like, well, you want to see my dash camera? You can see what really happened. Sure. And he goes, it's kind of funny. He goes, you know, you can fit three state patrolmen in your cab of your truck with you. He goes, it'll fit. <laughs> but yeah, that, that dash camera video saved him. And, you know, she flat out lied. Yeah, but you're the professional, so it's always your fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you have a commercial license and, you know, you're it's always your fault. They Sometimes it seems to get pushed that way, but, you know, if you can – a little piece of equipment just to try to help you out can go a long ways. And, you know, I don't have a problem having it in my truck. I prefer to a little cheap sense of uh, insurance, you could say. Yeah, absolutely. So that, uh, before we go down that rabbit hole, we'll just cut it off. Cause we can talk about that for hours <laughs> Six stories. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get a fair amount of mileage put on my van every year. So the stuff we get to see on the road is amazing. I can relate to what you're doing in a dash cam. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for me too. I should, I should look at one of those, but you've listened to my podcast. This is episode five. The previous four were all pretty much recorded before I had them all out. So I've been having audio issues. Thank you. Anchor. I've been having uh, glitching issues. Thank you. Cell service, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm not blaming everything. Cause I mean, it's, if I started off with great equipment, it wouldn't happen. But we've connected quite a bit. I got some other friends that have helped me pick out equipment, try to make things better. Looking at, now I have gauges. I can see our meters. I don't even know what you call them. That Our volumes are pretty close, so we should be cleared up there. You've helped me quite a bit. I want to thank you for that. We both went into today knowing that this is an experiment because you get to try all this new equipment with me. So I want to thank you for that. But you, so... What I'm getting at there is you've heard the previous four episodes. Nobody else before that, like they didn't hear the episodes before, so they didn't know about my five questions. You have a little bit of a um, little bit of an advantage. I don't think yeah, Hopper might have. I don't remember, but they were. Uh, they've all pretty much been recorded. You're the only person that has heard them. So these five questions I'm going to ask you are designed to make you think. There's no wrong answer. I just I love hearing different people's answers to what i'm about to ask so are you ready for these i am and then i want to say on a side note okay. you do a tremendous job on your podcast i mean I, I have listened to the previous ones and i enjoy it i mean i remember listening to the first one you did and it's like i was ready for the next episode i was driving down the road it's like shit i need something else to listen to now and <laughs> well, so i just you. want to say uh, i really enjoy your format craig you do a great job and you know honored to, to be one of your guests also well thank you for that um, and of course, we'll probably have you back in the future. So these questions basically designed to get everybody thinking and see what's up out in everyone else's world. And the first one is probably my favorite question. So the question is, what is something that you believe that others would think is insane? Riding a motorcycle is fun. People, I think, don't understand. They don't get it. When you crash, you get hurt. And they don't see why you get back on. They don't understand. It's like, you know, that could have killed you. Why are you doing it again? And, you know, my response is you get in a car wreck, you're going to quit driving your car. Sure. Well, no, you get back in it and you keep going. And, you know, motorcycles can be the same way. I'm sure many people that ride a bike are going to understand that and totally agree where other people that are not familiar with motorcycles, maybe don't ride them. They're not going to get that. Sure. Got to get back on the horse. That's right. Okay. The next question, this could be an investment of money, time, energy, or other resources, but what is the best or most worthwhile investment you have made when it comes to your world on two wheels? I would say quality tires for your motorcycle because they are going to, you know, you maybe you can't afford the best ones, but they're, you're going to difference in ride, whether, you know, cornering or, you know, just longevity of the tires. You know, buying a good quality compound tire is going to make a difference in your ride. Sure. I, I can attest to that. Let's see. The next question is, what is the worst advice you see or hear being dispensed in the motorcycle world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this could go many different ways. I think in a way I, I would, I don't know if it really kind of answers your question or not, but I want to say, you know, Proper gear, to me, I know everybody has their opinions and we all live in different sides, but like the other day, I seen a guy riding in jeans and he was riding his bike in slippers. Slippers? Like, no way, man. 
Yeah, he had slippers on. No joke. Huh. Wonder you know, myself, maybe it's good. because, yeah, well, you know, and like you see guys in shorts and t-shirt. I mean, yeah, there are times in the summer, I admit, I'll ride in a t-shirt, but I always wear boots and I will always wear long jeans and, you know, sometimes even a long sleeve shirt. And to me, it's just at least some bit of safety gear. Maybe the boots come from, you know, years of motorcycle riding, you know, from when it comes to dirt, but I won't ride in tennis shoes. I don't care if I'm going two blocks to the grocery store to get stuff. I'll put my boots on and, you know, safety gear, just one of those things, you know, long jeans and, and boots. Maybe that doesn't quite answer your question, but that's just the one thing that pops in mind. So the answer then you're giving is that people would say you don't need that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's see. So as far as my audience or listeners, do you have any asks or requests of them? Subscribe to your podcast, follow along because you have a great format. You know, you'll end up some great questions and you know, it, it is a, a great podcast to listen to. Well, I'm a big fan. Thank you. And we are hoping they're already subscribed and folks, if you're not hit the subscribe button right now, cause Denver said to, right. How's that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the next question, where, can we follow Denver and the V-Twin Life? Well, you can follow the V-Twin Life podcast. We're on YouTube. The V-Twin Life podcast. Well, actually, it's the V-Twin Life underscore podcast on Instagram. The Facebook page is the V-Twin Life podcast. Or no, actually, it's just the V-Twin Life. Excuse me. And you know the, you'll see upcoming information on both the social media sites for you know upcoming broadcasts on YouTube. And we've been doing every Sunday at generally five o'clock pacific standard time we're live on youtube those will come up on the social media pages you know the four five six seven days prior you know trying to remind people i've now became a co-host on the beyond the rider series on youtube which is every wednesday at five pacific eight eastern with uh ride the biker that's been a lot of fun and you know you can follow along on the adventures right there well that's awesome congratulations on that gig I didn't uh, I yeah. think I knew that. That's just a, a recent addition here in the last uh, week or two. <laughs> okay. That'd be why I don't know it. Yeah. I sat on cool. a few of them and he asked me if I'd just basically be his co-host. He goes, you know, we seem to really work together, similar personalities and work well together. And it, it's been a lot of fun. Good deal. Yeah. When you find somebody that you can blend with and work well with, it makes life so much fun and also a bit easier. Yeah. Well, cool. Denver, thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on thanking you for thank you for tolerating this chaos this morning trying to get this thing recorded because well for those not knowing you got to listen to me fling coffee all over my desk and on the computer screen and keyboard so <laughs> this is good but thank you for hey, coming no on hey. and uh go ahead yeah no thank you very much also for all your support with my podcast it's you know it, it's an honor to you know have you guys come on board you know basically you know sponsoring the podcast helping out and and just, you know, all the support through the conversation, like you said, you know, running ideas off each other and the friendship has been amazing. I would agree. Thank you very much. Um, do you have any last parting words for the listeners? Ride safe, have fun, enjoy the open road. Seems like good words to live by. Thank you for coming on, Denver. I appreciate it. For everybody listening to the show, again, if you like what you're listening to, hit that subscribe button. Hopefully this episode Sounds a little bit better than the last ones, and uh, it's only going to get better with all of the help I'm getting from Denver, from future guests coming on. Really, we owe it all to you, the listeners, for keeping us out here doing what we love to do, and that's just talk motorcycles. So thank you guys for listening. Subscribe. The Wild Ass Podcast come out every other Monday. Look forward to talking to you on the next one. Thank you.